Religion has profoundly influenced the sweeping American narrative, perhaps more than any other force in our history, from the time before European colonization to the present. The startup National Museum of American Religion is working to build a museum in the nation's capital that will share the story of what religion has done to America and what America has done to religion, inviting all to explore the role of religion in shaping the social, political, economic, and cultural lives of Americans and thus America itself. Join our host, Chris Stevenson, for season two of our podcast series, Religion in the American Experience, as we follow scholars deep into America's religious history and learn how it can inform and animate us as citizens grappling with complex questions of governance and American purpose in the 21st century. Episodes will be released every Monday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Register for notifications on our website, www.storyofamericanreligion.org, under the sign-up tab. Sports is everywhere in America, as we all know. The Super Bowl, the Masters, the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the U.S. Open, the Olympics, the NBA, MLB, NFL, youth travel leagues, high school sports, and the list goes on and on and on. So maybe if we understand sports better, we can understand America better. For this podcast series, Religion and the American Experience, we want to learn about the relationship between religion and sports, which it turns out is a deep and meaningful one. This discussion will help us better understand what religion has done to America and what America has done to religion, and we trust that as a result, listeners will see how indispensable the idea of religious freedom as a governing principle is to the United States and its ability to fulfill its purposes in the world. Today, to discuss religion and sports, we have with us Rebecca Alpert, professor of religion at Temple University in Philadelphia and author of Religion and Sports, an Introduction and Case Studies, which we will use as the basis of our interview today. Her research interests include religion and sport, religion and sexuality, and American Judaism in the 20th century. She is also the author of Out of Left Field, Jews and Black Baseball, and co-editor of Gods, Games, and Globalization, New Perspectives on Religion and Sport, published in 2019. Professor Alpert also was among the first women in America ordained as a rabbi. We encourage listeners to visit storyofamericanreligion.org and sign up for future podcast notifications under the sign-up tab. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure, Chris. First, and I think our listeners will want to know this as well, how in the world did you become interested in, and then an expert in, the relationship between sports and religion? Tell us your story. So it's, um, it's a story that starts with an oral history. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine Put, made connections for me between um, a person who was writing an oral history of people who were baseball fans. And he didn't have enough women. So uh, he was looking pretty hard to find a woman or, or two that he, could, that he could interview. And I went and sat in, uh, sat in with him. We had a great conversation. And um, Bill Friedman is, is his name. And when I read back what I wrote or what I had said, uh, after he published it, I realized that um, the connection between my Jewishness and my experience as a baseball fan as a child was actually very, very close. And I wound up 
um, thinking this is an interesting place to pursue uh, my research. I was sort of looking for a new research topic. And I wrote, I guess my first article was about Jackie Robinson, uh, because growing up as a child, uh, my mother said, really believed that the Brooklyn Dodgers were Jewish. <laughs> they, they, they weren't. They had one, Cal Abrams, I think, was their only Jewish player, and there really wasn't much connection, except for all of the, the diehard fans in Brooklyn who really embraced the Dodgers as a uh, you know, as, as a gritty working class team, not like the Yankees who represented U.S. Steel at that at that point, you know, represented the ind industry and money. The Dodgers had a working class ethic and they were the first to integrate baseball. And they were the first to say, um, we don't we don't think these separate leagues um, really make any sense. We want we want um, African-Americans or uh, I guess they weren't called that at that point, um, but we right. but we want to make sure that um, that they have a right to to play, and um, the the owners and leaders of the Dodgers made that made that so, and they couldn't have done it without the ethnic fans in Brooklyn. It wasn't just the Jews; it was the Italians and the Irish and um, and Chinese. Actually, it it turned out who were still living in Brooklyn and were committed to coming to the ballpark because that's what that you know all of these other owners were really afraid that the white the white fans would desert would desert baseball if it became a a, a black sport. So um so that felt like a connection between my Jewish values and uh and sport. And, and as I investigated Robinson's story, I discovered that I certainly wasn't the only one. I discovered hundreds of stories and um, memoirs and um, musicals uh, on on Broadway and all all kinds of things uh, supporting this idea that there was this connection um, and that that's really what got me going in terms of of my interests. It wasn't that big of I'm, I'm actually a bigger basketball than, than baseball fan, but I started writing about baseball and uh, discovered that it's, you know, there is a whole world out there of, of people thinking about baseball as, um, as a religion um, and the connection between baseball and various, and, and various religious practices. Okay. Well, that's a great backstory. Let's, let's get into the details here. Uh, I want you to help us unpack something uh, that you wrote at the beginning of uh, the chapter called Why Study Religion and Sports Anyway? And I'm going to quote you here. Uh, you write, Studying the interconnections between sports and religion gives us an opportunity to understand how these key aspects of society influence our political and cultural lives and provide ways to understand human experience and its meaning and purpose. That's pretty deep stuff for sports. Some of our listeners are going to say, hey, this lady's taking herself way too seriously. She's taking sports way too seriously. Can you try to convince us, Rebecca, that you are not taking it too seriously, well, that this is significant and important to America and Americans? So I, I've taught this course on sports and society for a number of years, and I've actually had to convince my students of that, and I spent a lot of time doing that. And then um, last year happened. Uh, 
where sports became the focal point of some of the most important questions, particularly about race, but also about gender in our society. Um, and then people began, I think, to pay more attention to how how we understand sports and why sports is so important. Chris, you said it yourself, right? At the at the beginning, it's the Super Bowl is probably a bigger holiday um, time in in the United States than um, many of our other holidays. We take it really seriously. Um, there are all kinds of rituals associated with it. If, if people stop and think, well, what do I eat on Super Bowl Sunday? I eat special foods. Why is that any different from thank, from our Thanksgiving holidays, right? Um, I get together with my family. Oh, these are my these are my people, and um, and we connect through the Super Bowl. Uh, we pay attention to sports, and sports became even though um, you know we we've been told that that. It's just the protesters who are making sports important. Um, in fact, sports has been militarized. Um, if, you, if you take a look at the logo of the National Football League, you'll see that it's an American flag in the shape of a shield. What's going on there? That's not just about sports. That's intrinsic to our society. It's how we see ourselves. Um, we, we can't... We can't live as a society without these events. People who are not that interested in sports, and, and there are many people who are not that interested in sports, but then of course there are many people who are not that interested in politics, and there are many people who are not that interested in religion. Right? I mean, it doesn't mean that those elements of our culture are not important. Um, and, but even people who are not interested in sports, uh, I have memories of being in the airport during um, during the uh, Olympics when our women's soccer team was, was winning. And there are hundreds of people gathered around the television sets watching. What is that social experience, but, um, but a way of binding our, ourselves as a community and feeling part of something, uh, which is central to the ideas, the, the way we use religion in, in society as well. Um, it, it, okay. Sports becomes it, it, what you know. One of the recent headlines was that Bill Belichick, the least likely person in the world to uh, who was the coach of the New England Patriots, turned down um, the president's offer for of a medal. Uh, he made an important statement, and his statement was was um, carried by the news media the same way that other people's, you know, politicians' statements and other people's statements were. Um, we take our sports figures seriously. They're our heroes. Uh, they're important people in society, and they and they make a difference. Okay. Convincing enough? I don't. It think. is. It is. You didn't have to convince me, but uh, I think you've convinced our listeners, or at least a lot of them. And, and I think they'll be convinced as we go through the questions here. Uh, you state, Rebecca, that sports is quote one of the most popular and significant dimensions of human experience. Close quote. How does it compare with religion? Hmm. Well, not not in the details, what, but in a statement like that. Yeah. No, I, I, um, what's curious, you know, curious to me is that in ancient times, the worlds of sport and the world of religion were actually directly connected. Uh, the rituals of of the religious traditions of ancient Greek society, ancient Mayan society, ancient Japanese society were all. Um, expressed through sporting events. 
And uh, they seem to have a similar function uh, in in the life of of a society. Sports and religion are ways that people use to make meaning and and to enact ritual and to make a connection to what is ultimate reality. So I would say they have a very, you know, a very close connection in terms of 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 many cultures, most cultures actually. Okay. And certainly ours. Right. So you admit that the definitions in religion of religion and sport do not overlap much. And instead you write this, quote, while religion has never been thought to be a sport, many have written eloquently about their perception and experience of sports as a religion, close quote. Tell us how this is done. Oh, sure. So um, a lot of those of us who do religious studies uh, have been trying to figure out what religion is. I mean, you know, that's that's been uh, a, a very important dimension of uh, the the study of religion these days, because we don't all mean the same things when when we say religion. Um, My handy dandy religious definition is that it it, it includes what I call the three B's, right? It's believing, behaving, and belonging. So when you're, when you, you know, when you, when you see religion, when you're looking for what is religion in society, you look for people, what do people believe and hold the most dear as a concept. Usually that has something to do with God, um, but not always. Um, how do they behave? What are their rituals? What do they do? Do they go to church? Um, do they uh, construct altars in their houses? Uh, do they go to synagogue or, or mosque? Um, do they do family rituals at home? Like what, what is it that people do? That um, that makes this connection to um, to their beliefs, and then um, and then how do they understand themselves belonging? Uh, Christians see themselves belonging to church communities. Uh, Jews see themselves belonging to uh, sometimes ethnic communities, uh, but but always you know related to Jewish Jewish practices, but that, you know, you belong to a synagogue or you belong to a Jewish community center. Same with Muslims belonging to mosques or, um, or Buddhists and, and Hindus making their connections to their temples. So it's behaving, belonging, and believing. And if you take that framework and put it in a, in a context of sports, um, then it becomes, it becomes very clear that um, sports and so politics and patriotism and and other phenomena in our society also function in this quasi in, in the same way that religion functions. So um, you when you experience um, when when you experience sports, say you're a fan of the um, Washington national team, the Washington football team. Um, it was very, very hard to give up their name. Why was it hard to give up their name? Who cares about the name that they had? Um, well, it was hard to give up their name because that was a means of connecting. It's almost like saying to a, to a, a Jew or a Christian, um, stop calling yourself Jewish, right? Call yourself by some other name. We, we, we don't like your name anymore. We don't think, we don't think you should have that name anymore. Uh, and um, 
the, that power of connection, um, the power of feeling like you belong to something. Um, looking at a symbol, when, when, a, when a Jew looks at a Jewish star, they feel something special, right? They feel some kind of connection. When a Christian looks at a cross, they think, this is, this is, some, this is a powerful symbol as, that's part of my tradition. The fans of the Washington team also felt that same way. They looked at those symbols and they didn't see what I see, which was a kind of um, pejoratization of the, um, of the experience of Native Americans. They saw their special symbol. They saw something that um, maybe holy, maybe not holy in the, in, you know, in, in the full meaning of that word, but certainly powerful in a way that evoked a sense of connection to a group, belonging to a group, um, believing in a certain set of values, and not values that I happen to agree with, but values that really mattered to them. Um, and and I, I don't probably don't even have to mention when, when people think about uh, how do people behave around sports, all you have to do not this year, but in but in other years, all you have to do is drive to drive to a stadium um, when there's a when there's a football game happening, and just look around. You don't even have to go in. You know, you see what's happening. People are eating together in parking lots and having you know a whole set of rituals that define who they are as a group. Um, so that that's again, it's, this is where those parallels exist. And this is why some people think of sports as a religion. Right. Um, so if something okay. is the most important value to you, that's probably what your religion is, or at least that's what Paul Tillich said. Okay. I think listeners would love to hear some examples from some of these similarities between religion and sports. You mentioned some in the book, uh, ruling patriarchs. These are all religious terms, but but you're suggesting that there are analogous sports terms, right, or sports uh, individuals, ruling patriarchs, saints, high councils, and ritual and material. Can you give us a few examples of those similarities? Yeah, well, that wasn't mine actually. That was that uh, the, uh, another author was making this uh, making that suggestion. Okay. It's actually um, I don't think it a lot in terms of uh, of, of Christian symbols. It, that seemed to me like what he was saying was that um, it's just like Christianity, where they have patriarchs and they have high councils and so on and so forth. I, I'm not sure I buy into that particular okay. framework. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I, I was kind of using that example as a way of saying different people have taken this idea of sport as religion and um, and used religious used their religious understandings to to see you know to to explain that relationship. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. In okay. But it, it, again, in terms of material culture, all you got to do is look for those baseball caps, sweatshirts. Right. Um, you know, people spending tons and tons of of their money to buy little uh, Philly fanatics uh, or bobblehead dolls or whatever whatever it is that um, books about sports and um, what does it mean to have Pete Rose's bat? <laughs> you know, like why are these things valuable? They become it, it, again they become holy objects. Okay. Okay. What would you tell us? that we need to know about Michael Novak's 1976 
book, Joy of Sports, End Zones, Bases, Baskets, Balls, and Consecration of the American Spirit for the purposes of our discussions today about the interconnectedness between religion and sports in America. Yeah, Novak was actually, I mean, Novak is a, was a great scholar of religion. And um, it, that that book was really a very, very important book for the beginning of this uh, analysis of sports as religion. Um, and he, you know, he looked at these, that the three, you know, the Trinity, baseball, basketball, football, and, and, and began to talk about, I mean, his language was precisely the language that, that I've been using here. Um, he's the one that, that really made these definitions and just said, uh, but even more importantly, this whole idea of the joy of sports, right? This whole idea that, um, that one can really experience something outside oneself and a real connection to ultimate reality, um, which is what you know. Which is the argument I think that he that he was really making that that sports brings you to a pl- the same place um, emotionally that religion can take you. Okay. Now, I want to bring up. I think it's important to bring up um, that some people do not. Some scholars do not see sports as a religion or as religion. And in fact, one author you quote labeled the quote sports as religion narrative, a version of semantic abuse, close quote. Can you elaborate a bit on, on these scholars' perspective? Mm-hmm. Just to give oh, us the sure. whole... Well, that's, the whole... That's, the, that's a sensible other side of this argument. They want to keep the word religion for those um, particular... Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. That's um, fine. For those... Uh, my phone was on silent, but I guess it wasn't. Um to keep um, to keep those phenomena that we define as religion um, as as uh, only those historical religions they reject these scholars reject any notion that you can have religion be anything except Judaism Christianity Taoism all of the all of the, re- the historic religions that we defined as historic religions so right. anything else is just blasphemy. I mean, they don't, they don't just see it as something that's not good. They really, really see it as blasphemous, that it's somehow you are saying that religion um, is something broader than that, than that concept okay. that, um, that, that historic religions okay. are. Well, it's good to see that perspective and understand it. Uh, so we have this in context. You write, I'm going to go back to, as we will, the whole discussion, your book, Religion and Sports and Their Interconnectedness. Um, Let's see, you quote a 1993 book called Religion and Sport, The Meeting of the Sacred and Profane, this statement, quote, it is both proper and necessary to call sport itself a religion. It is also reasonable to consider sport the newest and fastest growing religion, far outdistancing whatever is in second place. Close, close quote. What do you think about that statement, Rebecca? Um, it's again these these are these are people who feel very passionate about sports, and uh, I guess if you count the numbers of people who go to uh, attend sporting events versus the numbers of people who actually go to church or synagogue or the mosque. Um, sports would win, hands down. Right? Especially since sports is televised, and if you, you know, again, if you, if you, if you start 
just looking at that numerically, that's a that's a sensible argument. Um, whether or not sports has replaced religions, uh, sports in, in that that place in people's lives. I mean, again, we're looking at that particular place in people's lives. What's the most important thing to you? What do you value the most? Um, I would say probably most people would say that they're religious, that, that, that sports is not really their religion. Right. That that's, that, that's not right. that, that central to them. Well, and I think scholars looking at the historical record uh, have good, have helpful things to say to us, right? Mm-hmm. Good things to say to yeah, us that we can sure. learn and from. And challenging. Challenging, I mean, right. I think, I think what, what a lot of scholars like to do is put out new ideas and, and let people you know, think about them and, and learn about them and decide for themselves. That's, that's Absolutely. the most important. Yep. We are talking about the interconnections between sports and religion with Rebecca Alpert, professor of religion at Temple University in Philadelphia and author of Religion and Sports, an Introduction and Case Studies. If you have not done so yet, please visit storyofamericanreligion.org and sign up for the future podcast notifications under the sign-up tab. Rebecca, in the section of the book entitled, Does Religion Have a Place in Sports or Sports and Religion?, you give a history of their interconnectedness. What was the attitude towards sports when Europeans landed in the Americas up to the mid-19th century? Give us that historical detail in so brief. in that earlier period, we were dominated by a group called the Puritans, pretty much in terms of, in terms of the way, um, the way the, the people understood their, uh, their religious obligation. Uh, we had religious freedom in theory, but in practice, um, there was a, there was a very, very powerful, I mean, we never established a religious, uh, a religion, but, um, if you were not a Protestant, if you were not in the North Puritan and in the South Episcopalian, you probably weren't going to um, get get anywhere. Um, you, you were going to be tolerated, I guess, as opposed to have equal rights. Um, and that mindset was actually not in favor of sports at all. Um, that the, the, that particularly the Puritan mindset and the, the Puritan way of looking at um, at Christian living. Uh, said sports is is a waste of time. You know, maybe they actually knew that um, sports could become the most important religion if they didn't watch out. Um, but they they were not pro religion in any way. I mean, people you know people bowled and and they did they certainly did sports, but um, they couldn't do it on the Sabbath. There were there were strong prohibitions against against sports on on Sundays and um, and a lot of tension for um, people who were interested in sports and liked and and like you know sporting activities they they were considered not taboo but certainly not of value. Okay, but then we hit mid. What do you say mid? Uh, 19th century and some things begin to change. Um, you explain uh, a concept or a phenomenon called muscular Christianity. It came into vogue, I guess, first in Europe about that time. Um, when it became a phenomenon in the United States, how did it inter- how did it um, influence the relationship or the intersection of sports and religion here? 
Well, muscular Christianity was was the essence of the intersection between sports and religion. Um, there was, again, the, this growing sense among Protestants that um, there was this competing set of values. And sometimes it's better to beat them than, uh, you know, it, it, join them than be, try to beat them. So um, it's a very, very smart concept. Uh, the, the idea that, um, that Jesus was a, 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 Jesus and Paul really were um, strong muscular figures. I mean, they saw, the, the Christian leaders saw in sports an opportunity to really make uh, religion more powerful and um, and recognize that you didn't have to be, uh, you should forgive the expression, a sissy if you wanted to be Christian, that you could, in fact, uh, embrace um, being a powerful person and being someone who was athletic. Um, and that could be part of your Christian identity. Uh, they didn't have to be separate phenomena. So that was that really was the essence of of muscular Christianity. Um, there there's there a muscular Catholicism as well that began to develop, which was being Catholic was very different from being Protestant. Um, and being Jewish was very different as well. And so Catholics and Jews also found ways to um, to assert that their religions were also compatible with sports. Okay, and I right you do write about that. Now I found it interesting, uh, or uh, yeah, fascinating that at that time churches began to build gymnasia and sponsor their their own teams. In fact, uh, and 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 then you mentioned uh, a particular church in New York, St. John the Divine. Uh, how it commissioned stained glass windows with figures of of or figures in sports poses. Um, what what uh, what other examples are there of the ramifications of muscular Christianity in the United States? Well, I, just think about the YMCA. Right? Um, that the YMCA was really, um, and ultimately the YWCA, and then ultimately the YMHA, the Young Men's Hebrew Association, as well. That was a way of saying that um, gyms and sporting activities were, in fact, under the umbrella. Of uh, of religious organizations, um, the the YMCA was the Young Men's Christian Association, and yet most of what happens in in Ys, right, were, were basketball and um, other other sports uh, and swimming. They uh, that was that was a way of bringing these things together, and that that movement was very powerful. Um, and then you know mostly. Um, the, the game of football was played in colleges and it was mostly played in Ivy league colleges, which were not that strongly associated with religions. Then Notre Dame decided, um, you know, it was going to get into the, into the sports act um, and other religious inst other institutions that were affiliated with, uh, with different religious denominations also started having sports as a central part of their, uh, of their programs. Uh, and so the connection between sports and religion grew. The evangelicals were actually the last to get on board, uh, but there were people like Billy Sunday, who was a former baseball player and uh, uh, evangelical preacher, and began to talk about 
why it's why those connections were really important and why being um, being a religious person meant being a strong person. Um, you making the connections, I think, is, you know, in Catholicism and Judaism and Protestantism between the body and the mind. Right? A strong body meant a strong spirit, a strong body meant a strong mind. And if you um, if you got involved in doing sports, then then you would be strengthening your connection to God. It sounds like just from this perspective, sports had quite an effect on American Christianity, American religion. Oh, for sure. You know, just, there's, there's really, there's no question um, that um, sports just became a very, very important part of understanding how one, uh, one was able to express oneself as a religious person. Right. You detail the development of a new version of muscular Christianity in the mid-20th century which Frank DeFord labeled, and I may be getting the pronunciation wrong, I've never heard it, but I've seen it written, sportianity, quote, unquote. Can you tell us about this and its ramifications, including what we learn from DeFord's 1976 three-part essay, Religion in Sport, in Sports Illustrated? Well, I, you know, I think basically what he was saying is this whole, he, he, he like Novak, they were beginning to to stretch out, you know, what what it meant for sports to become so central to the religious project, and um, the, the the fact that it went overboard, right? The fact that people made these connections too strongly, perhaps, and maybe were beginning to do that thing that people got really scared about, which was substituting sports for religion or turning their sports connections into the center of their of their religious practices. And the opposite, um, which was the the effort of um, Christian groups to make uh, make sports uh, so much a part of what they were doing that they changed the nature of their their own message. So in a word, what was Frank DeFord saying in that three-part essay? Uh, maybe this isn't so good, right? I mean, okay. maybe, the, the, maybe there's too big a connection between, um, between sports and Christianity to the point where it became sportianity, right? It, it, it's like Christianity was being taken over by... This, these connections to sports. Okay, so Rebecca, we're now going to turn to religion and sports um, and how they don't get along, for lack of a better phrase, uh, in the United States. You write that, quote, one of the major sources of friction between sports and religion in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam has been when the times for religious observance conflict with sporting events, close quote. Tell us what we need to understand here. So uh, I think I mentioned this a little earlier. It's um, the Puritans were very clear that on the Sabbath, you do holy things, you don't do sports. Um, but the the world of sports has really taken over Sundays, hasn't it? Uh, and so the choice between um, going to church and um, and going out to do sporting events uh, was was problematic for for many Christians for for a long time until they actually had to move the times of the football games 
and the baseball games and, and make sure that they weren't, they weren't in conflict because people saw like, how do you spend your time? How do you make, how do you make enough time for both sports and, and religion? Something has to give. Right. So, so they had to make, they had to make compromises. Um, it's harder actually, you know, when you think about, uh, think about Muslims during Ramadan, how do they manage to uh, observe their fasts and play sports at the same time? I mean, we, we see that some of them do that. That's a, that's a, but it's very, very difficult and it can, it can certainly cause conflicts. Um, how about an Orthodox Jewish team that won't travel on the Sabbath? Uh, how do they get to their games they, they, uh, on their Sabbath on Saturdays? Um, how can they how can they participate? So there's always this tension of like what's more important, what comes first. Um, I remember as a child the Jewish high holidays were always during the World Series. So um, it, technically, uh, Jews are not supposed to be paying attention to other to other things during the during a holiday like Yom Kippur, which is the solemnest day of the year. But you know the Yankees were playing. What do you do? How do, you, how do you resolve that conflict? Do you make a decision for your religious practice or do you make a decision for your, your sports practice? Um, a lot of kids going to Sunday school, if they have soccer practice at the same time as Sunday school, what do we choose? But you know, these, are hard, these are hard questions for, um, for sports enthusiasts who also wanna um, keep their religious practices. Well said. You explain at one point in this section of your book about public displays of religious commitment in sport that, quote, manufacturers have also been working on modest clothing that is suitable for swimming and other sports, and special hijabs have been created for sportswear, close quote. Since the printing of your book, I think this has actually happened. Can you share some stories about this? So this is not conflict now of time, um, mm-hmm. but this is... Uh, displays of one's religiosity and the problems that come with that in sports? So um, that this is actually a, a complicated question. I, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of hijab, um, that's, that's the way... People don't think of the connection between Islam and sports, but in fact, Islam is actually very positive, has a very positive attitude towards sports. And positive attitude towards women in in sports as well, but that women have to be separated from men, right? Because modesty is extremely important. Um, so how can a woman dress modestly uh, and and still perform her sports? Well, um, we live in a world where things uh, things change and and people think about these things, and um, th- there have been. Hijab created modest clothing for women created for just about every sport so that um, Muslim women are now um, very actively involved. And you'll see that they've won fencing, they, you know, they've, they've won fencing titles. Um, they, they, the first woman um, in, in, in the Olympics for Saudi Arabia uh, was a, a woman who was, uh, who was wrestling in hijab. Um, so they're doing judo in hijab. I'm sorry. It's like, Get the, sometimes I get these sports confused, uh, but but there there you know there's really been an effort to make sure that um, that women um, can both 
observe their religious practices, that is, dress modestly, and at the same time be involved in, in sports practices as well. Um, it, the, um, I, I guess this, you know, it's not just, it's not just a question of uh, wearing modest clothing because uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of sports figures who are religious themselves also want to have um, their religious um, affiliation emblazoned on their bodies. So I don't know if you uh, you know it, it, it may be old news now, but Tim Tebow used to write um, John three sixteen under his under his eyes. Uh, it went when he was uh, playing sports at college, when he was playing football in college. And um, they made him stop doing that. Uh, why? Because it, there was too great a connection between sports and religion. And, and uh, sports really um, was a, a venue for him to exercise his free exercise of religion. But it came in conflict with other values related to um, free, freedom of religion, which is freedom from being oppressed by someone else's religion. Um, uh, so, uh, so they there was a, a decision at a secular university that he couldn't have those kinds of displays of religion. So there, you know, you know, this is again, this is a pretty complicated set of stories, and it comes up fairly often. Can you? Um, how do you express your religious beliefs in the context of a secular sporting event? Right. Which some people see as very religious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's the religion of sport. Right. <laughs> exactly. Rebecca, when addressing religion and ethical dilemmas in sports, which was an interesting section, you begin by saying this, quote, Modern sports were founded on the idea of the fostering of good values, including healthy lifestyles, teamwork, sportsmanship, and equal opportunity in the form of a level playing field. But that in recent years, this great sports myth, which you have in quotes in your book, the great sports myth, has begun to crumble, close quote. This is a pretty important statement in your book. Uh, it covers a lot of of uh, ground here. What are the manifestations of this and the ramifications for the country? So um, we've seen incredible cheating scandals in sports. Um, had the pandemic not taken over the fact that the Houston Astros lost their title because they were, they were cheating um, during the world series. Um, the New England Patriots deflating the, the footballs, um, you know, people bending the rules uh, has, has given lie to this myth that sports is all about fairness and, um, and fair play and, and equal opportunity. Um, the fact that gambling has always been very closely associated with sports. Uh, the fact that, that sometimes sports less in our country, but certainly around the world, people die at soccer matches. Fans die at soccer matches. They've been trampled to death. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in the context of sports. Um, the, the, the kind of racism that, um, that we've seen on display, the kind of um, unevenness between men and women's opportunities and experiences in sports. Uh, the fact that 
poor people have a very, very hard time getting to getting to achieve things because it's so ex- children's sports are so expensive for for families to to engage in. These are the kinds of um, negative elements of sport that big that sports fans who believe in the great sports myth that it's the best thing in the world um, are not really willing to come to terms with. And um, it, I'm not saying that um, that religion is not also riddled with all of these things. We've seen we've seen many, 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 many instances of um, sexual violence and uh, corruption and uh, gambling and all kinds of things in, in every in, in every realm, in, in every religion that in, in the United States, it's not, you know, we, we often associate these evils with the Catholic church, uh, clergy, but in fact, they're, they're, they're broad. Um, but uh, religion, again, makes a claim to certain sets of values that um, maybe sports, uh, you, you know, the, the, the realm of sports is, is not always amenable to. So, um, so they, they, there have certainly been tensions and, um, and very often, uh, religious leaders, if you, again, listen to their sermons, uh, you know, hear, hear them talk, they will be very critical of, of the, the kinds of evils that take place in, in sports. Thank you. You write, Rebecca, that while, quote, sports have been understood as a safe arena that has replaced religion as a location for ritually enacted violence that provides a necessary catharsis for society, some argue that violence in sports gives permission for violence in society, close quote. Can you talk to us a bit about violence in sports and religion? Yeah, you know, I had a... um I, the last time I taught my sports and society class, I had a, a wonderful student who decided to tackle this this question in youth hockey because he had he had played youth hockey and he saw the kinds of violence that um, that is permitted. And I mean, hockey is a terribly good, <laughs> terrible slash good example of the kind of violence that exists in 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 sports. Um, and there are you know, he, he was looking at youth Christian hockey leagues and the way that they tried to come to terms with the fact that, um, that their sport was very violent. Um, and there are actually, uh, he discovered some Christian youth hockey leagues, uh, that, um, that eschew the violence that, um, that don't permit the kind of fighting that exists in, um, in hockey in the United States and, and Canada, more, more in the United States, but also, but also Canadian hockey, uh, and tries to teach, um, tries to teach anti-violence in, in sports. But anybody who's sat under the basket at a basketball game or, um, watched a melee in a baseball game or watched any play in uh, professional football, you know, realizes that the violence in sports not only is um, is an intrinsic part of sport, but has also, um, as, as we become more and more aware of concussion and more and more aware of um, the kinds of physical harm that that particularly professional, but even even lower levels of, of athletes have done to their to their bodies because sport is so violent. 
it, it gives pause. It gives us pause and and makes us um, you know makes us wonder um, how sports can be held up in in the kinds of ways that it is as this you know again the great sports myth. Um, so so uh, particularly religious. Uh, organizations that sponsor sporting events have have had to come to terms with with this whole question of uh, how violent sports are and um, and how to how to help that along how to make it better. So, have uh, religiously affiliated schools uh, ever made statements uh, regarding violence of say h- hockey and football, which seem to be sort of the most violent, perhaps? Um, in terms of, in religious terms? I don't think official, I don't think you find that in official circumstances, but I do think, I mean, I'm very, very aware of, um, again, particularly for youth, trying to make sure that, um, that the kind of, uh, the, 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 the message is that um, we don't we we don't want to harm our bodies. We want to strengthen our bodies. That's the that's the that's muscular Christianity, right? It's the it's the strengthening and empowering and making people feel um, connected to their the, connecting their bodies and their spirits and not um, and not hurting others. Um, but I don't. I mean, it's possible that there are official pronouncements. I actually don't. I don't know. Right. I haven't, I haven't seen any. So. Well, uh, as we conclude here, Rebecca, uh, you know, an hour is, is definitely not enough time to cover this area of sports and religion. And I, I think in my mind that we could have a whole series about sports and religion uh, that would be of great interest. And I, and I think, as we discussed before, it there's a lot to learn about the country when we look at sports because it's so um, pervasive and, and so popular. But as we conclude this um, I would say, uh, first uh, di- deep dive into religion and sports. Do you want to share any lessons or takeaways from the book or from the this this topic, either in terms of important historical transformations you are charting or even just in terms of helping us better understand the country's present moment? Sure. So, uh, I mean, in, in terms of the, in terms of the, present moment i was unbelievably inspired and again these are these are my particular politics and i know everybody wouldn't necessarily agree with them but um but the women's national basketball association uh of all of the different the different groups that um had to contend with the um the the police brutality issues uh they were the one they stood up and they um, and they spoke out, and they made a difference in our society. Right, the um, the fact that one of the owners of the Atlanta Dream, the um, women's NBA team in Atlanta, uh, was uh, defeated uh, for her in in her senatorial race in Georgia just uh, just this uh, week or so. Um, I give I give those the women of the NBA a lot of credit. They really stood up to her and they they expressed their feelings. And because they were public figures, they got attention. And because they were willing um, to, and the I, the men of the NBA as well were willing to financially, uh, they put their money where their mouths were. 
and and work very hard to make change uh, and work very hard to be very public about their about their political views. This is not new. There was Muhammad Ali. There was Jackie Robinson. Um, there were there were figures in American sports history who stood up and said, "This is what's right, and I'm going to try to change things. I'm going to make things right." And um, and I think that we we need to give our our sports figures a lot of credit for being willing to say, "I don't just play basketball. I don't just play football. I don't just coach a football team." Um, I'm a public figure and I have a right to, to make public statements. And, and that, that has changed drastically. I think, I think everybody kind of understands now that, um, that to get back to religion and sports, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, um, he wasn't doing anything different from what Martin Luther King uh, did on the, on the bridge. Right. Um, They, they were both expressing their Christian beliefs um, that that their their obedience was to God and not to and not to a, a, a another authority, and that God, in their understanding of God, um, God wanted uh, peace. God wanted integration. God wanted to make sure that everybody in this country had a fair uh, opportunity to be. Uh, you know, to do well and um, and to live in in peace and not be uh, brutalized by or murdered by police in that in our in this particular case and actually in the case of Martin Luther King as well. Um, so uh, it, I, I like making those connections and I like I like seeing that these these things are happening and that sports isn't only an opportunity um, as it has been for military planes to fly over. Uh, stadiums at the stu- Super Bowl, but it's also an opportunity for individual sports figures to stand up and say, "This, I, I in my belief, this is my firmly held belief. This is not right, and I want to, and I want to make change." Okay, you have the last word. We have been talking about the interconnections between sports and religion in the United States with Rebecca Alpert, professor of religion at Temple University in Philadelphia and author of Religion and Sports, An Introduction and Case Studies. If you have not done so yet, please visit storyofamericanreligion.org and sign up for future podcast notifications under our sign-up tab. At the conclusion of this episode, we trust that listeners understand more about what religion has done to America and what America has done to religion and have a deeper appreciation of religious freedom as a governing principle in the United States seeing to its protection as an indispensable part of the fragile American experiment in self-government. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us and doing the really hard work of researching and writing a book that helps us all understand America better. It's been very enlightening for me and our listeners, I'm sure, and I hope you've enjoyed the time with us as well. I very much enjoyed it, Chris, and thank you for reading my book. The podcast series, Religion in the American Experience, is a project of the National Museum of American Religion. Episodes are released each Monday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Register for notifications on our website, www.storyofamericanreligion.org, under the sign-up tab.